I am unashamed. What about you? Welcome back to the Unashamed Podcast. We got Zach from uh, Black Mountain. We got me from the Southern Lair. We got Dad and Jace coming from the Northern Lair um, during duck season. We actually (laughs) did not duck hunt today so we could be fresh for our conversation. And it was not really a good day to duck on. It's 75 degrees and no wind. Which I appreciate about y'all. Y'all have been a little more flexible. Um, if it's not a good day to hunt, then y'all are you know, like, hey, we'll just do podcasts today. That's Well, Al, uh, the, uh, y'all getting, have kind of matured to that, I think. No, I think it's more that we're just getting old. And we, <laughs> we have now grown an appreciation for a good night's rest. And so uh, we went through this, you know, who's a man, 60 days of duck season, we're going to hunt every day. And, you know, when you're, we basically wanted to be awake during the entire length of the podcast. Sometimes sometimes the old adage that somebody came up with, who's a man, somewhere in there, uh, the answer is, uh, there's the difference between a fool and somebody that's thinking clearly. Yeah, that's that's good. You know, you've what? come a long way, um, Phil, in that because when you, we were kids, it was all about who's a man. That's all I remember. <laughs> well, think so about so, think about funny. fifty fifty years. Act the who's a man has gone from when I die, don't cry. Yeah, yeah. that's it. <laughs> it's, well, well, here's why I'm laughing though, because if you guys would y'all see the film. That line is in, I don't know how we captured that an interview and everybody, but that is a key. I mean, that's, that's, that's in the film, by the way, the, the blindmovie.com if you want to know more about it. Oh, okay. Let me let, I interrupted Zach shameless plug, but since it's about our family, I'm for it. And I've seen, they've let, let us see three clips of it just to lure us a little bit in so uh but phil to his credit he transformed from who's a man to jesus is the man and yeah, uh, and so well done phil a kindler gentler yeah so, he, so, he, fi- he finally answered it that's it that, that's good yeah that's he right finally answered He's the question. Say it's, it's one like a son of man yeah to quote who's Daniel. a man jesus yeah, I like it so we're uh we're gonna get into to first peter today on our podcast uh, in, in, we started a little bit, uh, Zach took the wheel and jumped us into the first couple of verses on the last podcast. But I, I looked up something, Jace, I thought was interesting because a big, uh, a, a key word suffering we've already talked about, but, but the idea is, it, it is there's hope through suffering. And so we're going to see the word hope come up quite a bit, especially right off the bat today. And so I got to thinking about, you know, how people view hope. And it was interesting when I did a little bit of a word search on it. A lot of people think in terms more of wishing than hoping. And there is a difference, quite a difference between those two words. I wish something to be true. I wish I had this. I wish I was whatever versus hope, right? There seems to be a a more substantial thing to hope. I've always looked at it like when someone hopes, they think, that there's a high probability for it to come true. And when they're wishing, it's a high probability that it's not going to come true. (laughs) You just, you wish like, you know, the old deal, I'll give you three wishes, which is probably the most famous depiction of wishes. And most of the time people are wishing for something that's probably not going to happen. And I think that really will become the defining line when we start talking about it, especially when when we talk about suffering. But so I looked up, I found a website that had done a big um, survey of people about the top things they wish for. So to your point, Jace, I think you're right, because here's what it is. I don't think it's necessarily a 10 to one in terms of value, but I'll list them 10 to one. I think it doesn't matter. It could be any of these. These are top 10 things people wish for. Number 10 was good health. That was one thing. Uh, Number nine was money. They wish for money. Number eight was fundamentals for survival, which is kind of, you think, more of a worldwide uh, thought, I think. Number seven was love. Number six was to change yourself. Number five was fame. Number four was sex. 
Number three was peace. Number two, freedom. And number one, happiness. So those those are the top 10 things from this survey that people in general wish for. So I was going to get your reaction on that. Well, they missed the bit. They missed the main one. Your first wish should be to wish for unlimited wishes. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but that's a violation of the made up narrative of having three wishes. Yeah. Well, because then you could say, I wish there was an actual genie who could grant me three wishes. Same principle. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that was actually those rules were outlined in the Disney movie Aladdin. Actually, they he, I did not see yeah, he that. Said you, said you got three wishes. Um, I think it Rob Robin Williams played the the uh, genie in the movie, uh, the animation, and he said the but you can't wish for unlimited. Wish. He had a list of like a you had to sign a contract. Uh, so a and, and that yeah. was uh, leave it to Disney to come well, up. Well, why wouldn't someone say eternal life? Yeah. Well, well, that's right. Why wouldn't they? They're not spiritually minded. They did ask for love. I um, mean, that's maybe people don't want to. Maybe their life is not going so well, and they don't want to live forever. That's true. Yeah. Well, to your point, though, Al, the the what you like a wish and a hope are not the same thing. Uh, I, I was thinking of when you were when you said that about that Hebrews eleven passage. That let me read that. Uh, which is about faith, but it the 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 idea that you that you get when you read that what does it say? Faith is the the substance of things unseen. It's the Certainty. evidence of things that are hoped for. Yeah. Well, the the yeah. more easier read version, the NIV says, "Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see." But the substance is probably a little more accurate. The assurance of the, yeah. Substance, it's, uh, the, the, the NASB says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So I think when we when we think about hope, when we think about faith, when we think about this isn't like jumping off the cliff with your fingers crossed and like, man, I hope somebody catches me. It's, it's yeah, right. when 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 Peter's talking about hope. It's it's uh I love the word substance. It's got substance to it. You can sink your teeth into it. It's not it's not like, man. I hope this is going to happen. We're not like we're not flying blind out here. This isn't blind faith. Yeah, this is faith that's anchored in rationality. It's faith that that's anchored in um, that inner longing in your. I mean, this is real. This is not this is not pie in the sky. You know, this is a very a very tangible um, well, hope. Very but tangible. I think faith. most non Christians view our hope as a pie in the sky. But Peter actually, he, he used that phrase, which would be interesting to see how the world would define it. But it says a living hope. Now, I think yeah, that adds an element that we need to discuss. Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree. But well, I think, uh, it, I, I think part of it is, is when we, that the, when we read last week about, um, Understanding the that what uh, when it says we are chosen, it, it's understanding that that it's not just it's not just a death gospel. It's a it's a death to life gospel. You know, it's it's sanctifying work of the Spirit is involved in this. You know, which is ongoing uh, to obey Jesus Christ. That's an ongoing thing that we participate in. And so you go, you read verse, you read like Romans five, Romans six, you know, which we've preached a lot out of Romans six about baptism, but, but you know, that the baptism is part of it, but it's also to raise to what? To live, to live a new life. So that, which is ongoing. It's not just a one and done deal. We get to participate forever. So I think living hope is a hope that's not, it's a hope that that's ever, it's ever increasing uh, we're we're always participating. What Paul says, uh, it's from one degree of glory to another in Second Corinthians three. It's the idea of of a progressive salvation, an ongoing salvation. It's not just one and done. We are participating in something that's bigger. I think a good definition, though, getting back to the wish and hope, would be because when you look at the disciples, specifically Peter, since we're in his letters, you know his whole life with Jesus was wishing Jesus would do something else or do something different. 
which is what was <laughs> causing all the problems. And uh, yeah. I think, you know, I didn't read this anywhere. It just popped into my head. But it seems like to me that most of the time when we're wishing, it literally has to do with us 100%. Even some of those things you've put on that list that didn't seem to fit. When you have money and love right beside each other, well, they couldn't be any more different. <laughs> and I think mm -hmm. when you're talking about hope, this is something that God brought to us. And we get to experience rather than me wishing for some things in life that may give me some same momentary reason, pleasure. Same thing. They had fame and sex next to each other because people say, man, I wish I was famous because if I was, man, I would be having sex with all these beautiful people. And I mean, it's the same concept when it's when it's viewed from that perspective. And I thought your, your initial definition was pretty good, Jace, that wish is pretty much you realize it's not going to happen. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and hope is like, yeah. I really think this will happen because no, I have uh, a firm hope. Yeah. I well, think that's much, pretty good. I'm, how many of those uh, on that list that you gave, how many of those things that people wish for are, if you just boiled it all down to one word, it's, it has to revolve around power and money is power. Fame can be power. Sex is a lot about power. I mean, a lot of the things that were mentioned there were about power. Which, which in, in the context of what Peter's writing here, he's writing to people who have no power. They're completely, I mean, they're, they're like at the mercy of the greatest superpower that has ever existed up until that point. There's no, there's never been a power like the Roman Empire, you know, up until this point. And these guys that he's writing to are, are subjugated to the, to not just their power, their abusive power. And so I think a lot of what Jesus came to do was interesting because he had, Jesus truly had all the power and he gave himself up, which is the gospel, right? So, I mean, which I think there's a lot of that. are uncomfortable with that, you know, because they're like, I'm not sure I want to serve a God who became weak and yeah. that who died. It, this, But I think that's why you see in a biblical narrative, the w wish would be much more associated with happiness, which was also on that list. Whereas hope is much more associated with joy, which is two different things. Uh, joy and happiness are quite different in how you arrive at either one. And so, you know, when you think about happiness, you think about it. Well, if I, I wish I had, I wish I had married this person, I wish my husband was more like that. And again, you're getting back to things that somehow your happiness is derived by something other than what God can do for you. And I, I think that's the difference, you know, in what happens here. Well, you read, you read this text here we're talking about in First Peter uh, 1, 3. Um, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're, we're lifting up who, who God is, the, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to, this is what I was saying earlier, is it, it, it what what do we what do, not just what we're saved from but what are we saved to we're saved to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time uh, that's quite that's quite the sentence Oh my goodness! But That's, you, but uh, you think, but you think about that. Um, but when you hear this idea of, of fate, it won't fade away. It's very uh, reminiscent of Paul's writing in Second uh, Corinthians three, I believe, when he talks about when Moses received the commandments and you know, he, he met with God and his face was radiating the glory of God, so he would cover up his face and you know, all this this veil that was over him. And then it talked about in the spirit, like there's a new thing happening now, you know, with unveiled faces, it says we behold the glory of God. And it talks about this, this fading away, not fading away. And it's, and not only does it not fade away, Paul says it's a, it's, it's, it, we, we actually experience one degree of glory to another from glory to glory. And so thinking about like the, just the old covenant versus what was accomplished in Christ, it's an ever increasing um, realization of the wonder and the beauty of who God is. That's what life in Christ is. It's ever increasing. There's, you never get to the end of it and say, man, 
I finally got to the end of God, and he was pretty awesome. You'll never get to the end of, of, of how big he is and how great he is. Yeah. Let's, let's take a break. So one of the things I appreciate about colder weather, uh, it just makes man, being in the bed just a little more comfortable and a little more cozy, especially we got bowling branch sheets, which, Jace, we yeah. love our bowling branch, don't we? Oh, look, when I had all my kids in for the holidays and all, my son and his wife came out and said, where did you get those sheets? Of course, I looked at Missy and said, tell us, babe. Because I wasn't even <laughs> sure we had had a sheet regime change, <laughs> but it was bowling branch. They are fantastic. I wish we'd have had a camera there. We could have filmed an ad uh, for uh, bowling branch. Uh, they they use the highest quality threads on earth. Uh, they only use organic cotton, a superior softness. Millions of people love them. Uh, they've been also used by three U.S. presidents, Jay. So no wonder your kids liked them, right? Uh, they have ten thousand rave reviews. Uh, they're designed for all kinds of sleepers. They've got a 30-night risk-free guarantee. So you can try them for 30 nights. If you don't like them, you can ship them back, and they'll give you your money back. But trust me, you're not going to do that. So we want you to make the most of bedtime with bowl and branch sheets. You're going to get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use the promo code Robertson at bowlandbranch.com. That's Bowling Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D Branch.com. Use the promo code Robertson. 15% off and have a great night's sleep. But I think we've got to acknowledge that whether you're wishing or, or hoping, you're basically expressing a desire for something different from how it is now. If you just look at it like that. And so when you read this, what I see, the first thing that pops into my head is that, now yours said, uh, I forgot the word it said, that, that this inheritance of the NIV says it is kept in heaven for you. There's some translations that says guarded in heaven for you. Yours are reserved is what yours said. It's reserved in heaven. But when I read that, I immediately think, well, this is guaranteed because it's he has something different from right now for me in heaven, which means it can't be destroyed, it can't be stolen, it can't it's not gonna be changed in any way. And so all of a sudden I'm feeling a lot better about whatever this is and I want it. <laughs> You know, I want I want to receive that from God because I mean He said He gave us new birth into a living hope, which means we haven't been granted the full extent of whatever this is, and He proved that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So that weeds out a lot of things on that list, Al. Because money can fade or perish or you can burn it up or I'm not sure what the other ones were. But uh Yeah, good health is gonna end. If you're famous, that's gonna end. Sex is gonna right. end. Yeah. I mean all of it. You're right. Yeah, I thought I I had a conversation with a guy today that uh works with me on some stuff and um he also has some other clients. He, one of his clients, his side business where he does like um, wealth management. And um, he was telling me about his side business. And he's got this guy he works with who was a very well accomplished surgeon. And he was saying that, you know, back in the day that this guy was like, I mean, he was the most eligible bachelor in town, one of the most uh, uh, famous surgeons in the country. And his life has just like just continued to go down, and, he, and he's all alone now. And to your point, I mean, how like there's an expiration date on all of that. You know, there's an expiration date on Phil mentioned it last podcast. It was kind of what'd you say, Phil? You said uh, if you die, don't what was it? Don't cry for me. Yeah, if you don't, if 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 when if, when I die, don't cry. Yeah, yeah, because you get. Yeah, you, you, but there's, you, I mean, when you said, when, like, we don't like to think about that kind of language, but there's an expiration date on all that. And, I, you know, I thought about the difference between, like, a godly passion 
in a worldly passion as a, a worldly passion diminishes over time. It does fade away. All of them do. You take whatever sin that you've been into, you have to do more and more of whatever the thing is to get the last high. And we've all been involved in recovery ministry enough, long enough to know that. Like no one, you don't get to the end of it, right? It, it just diminishes over time. And godly passions are the, the exact opposite, that you become more sensitive over time to to the work of the Holy Spirit, to the movement of God, to his presence. And your passions actually increase over time. I think it's one of the key marks of, of what the difference between like a living hope and then like a dead hope, because a dead hope is not attainable. It just dies. Yeah. Oh, no, I agree. I also think that when you think about this picture, he also referenced even the positive things that happened with his disciples. You remember when he gave them the ability to drive out demons and they were all excited and getting together. You know, this is before Jesus died and was buried and raised in Luke 10. They were they came with joy and said, because we're, you know, in our passage in First Peter, he's finding joy despite sufferings because you have this living hope and you're getting refinement of your faith while you're following and trusting Jesus, which really is what faith is. You're trusting him because you know through the resurrection there's something they're kept for us. But even when they were doing positive things and they were excited, you you would think he wouldn't chastise them a bit, but he did when in Luke 10, 18, he replied to their joy because of the demons were submitting to him. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you this authority to trample on snakes and, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I mean, because here again, the pride that comes from having this power misused ultimately gets your your focus away from what really matters, which is us living eternally with whatever these treasures are in heaven for us, which, I mean, I'm acting like I don't know, but that's what we're going to talk about. I mean, the eternal, being a part of the God's eternal family in heaven is really ultimately where this lies. That is our living hope. And we talked about that, <clears throat> Jay's on the last podcast. You just defined the most of the uh, epistles of the New Testament was them, the early Christians, especially not understanding the point you just made, that it was more than the things you could do or, or the cool things that God yeah. allowed you to do in the South. Because what's going to happen to all these people they healed and they drove the demons out? They're still going to live life. They still. What if they still die what if they su suffer you know i mean lazarus was raised from the dead i'm pretty sure he died later you know so if that's your goal and to be caught up in these momentary joys of life even in a positive thing it's still you're missing the point of god is bigger than that the plan is bigger than that and you have a your name is in heaven written and there's an inheritance kept there for you by god guarded that's waiting on you. So I would, I would think that that would be something that could define a living hope that you're participating in. I want to read you a text, Jace, that goes along just with what you said. It's from Hebrews chapter six, uh, that we studied. We did Hebrews. It starts in verse 17 because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose. Very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever. And so it's that same concept that we talked about when we were painting those pictures of the shadows of the old covenant to the new is that Jesus went into that Holy of Holies, into that place where no man could go, 
and he took us with him. And that's why the hope is anchored there. And that's why it's a living hope, which is because yeah. we live as he lives. Right. That's why he because you know, if you listen to the last podcast, you, you said, well, I thought this was all going to be about suffering. Well, it is. But he's laying a foundation for how you view that. I mean, yeah. this, this Which is he, hope. He, he, yeah, it, we have a living hope. Why? Because Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Well, what happened right before Jesus was raised from the dead? He suffered mightily. And even and he wasn't like you would think of all people since he knew this was going to happen. I mean, what did he do when he was in the garden and when he was on the cross? He didn't say, oh, look, I'm just this is the Lord's plan. No, it was excruciating. And, he, you know, he was praying. He was sweating blood and. I mean, he endured that, and he suffered. And we talked about that this in the bonus time of the last podcast. He did it for us. I mean, that was the joy that, set before him during suffering was, was for us. Uh, let's take another break. Not only that, Jace, you, from remember Hebrews 13, he suffered disgrace outside the camp. So, I mean, he took on the sin, not just from the Jewish world, their perspective, but everybody, everybody inside and everybody outside. Oh, no, that's great. And he point. bore that suffering. Yeah, that's Hebrews 13. That's one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible because it encourages us to to speak up about Jesus. And because you got to remember this, this whole letter that First Peter is about is really, you're not going to suffer if you're just quiet about Jesus. If you just go home, put it under your pillow, have a little life, all this persecution and all this suffering and all the things that are going to happen is because they are vocal about who Jesus is. They're sharing Jesus. That's where suffering comes from. And so uh, I think that's great because that Hebrews 13, I w I'd like to read it in verse 12. It says, and so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. There's your living hope. No, I love that. And, and, and Zach, in the, in the overtime before, we got into a pretty good discussion in the, in the general sense, and I want you to revisit some of that, about how that suffering, which we're about to read in the next context, it is different but it's, it, it, for people because of whether they have a, this living hope anchored or not. And the ones that don't will use the same argument, well, hey, this suffering, th this proves there is no God. This, you know, this proves that he doesn't care about people. This, you know, these illnesses and these things these people are going to, it shows that, the, you know, God doesn't care about you. And talk to some of that that we talked about in the overtime before about just framing this kind of big argument about the difference in having a living hope versus not having one. Yeah, well, I mean, Jason mentioned that, I forgot how he said it, but essentially um, the folks, when they, when they, you know, talk about the presence of evil or bad things that are happening, happening. And why would a good God allow these things to happen to me or to happen in the world? Um, by doing so, you're actually identifying that there is there is, in fact, a good uh, G.K. Chesterton I quoted him. He said in his book, what's wrong with the world? He answers kind of briefly that it's that we don't have a vision for what's right. And so there's a there has to be an anchor. It's what Martin Luther King Jr. I can't remember. If you, I, I don't know if you said that in overtime or the last podcast. His letter from a Birmingham jail makes a very similar point when he appeals to Thomas Aquinas is kind of apologetic that that there's got to be a standard and there's got to be something that this thing is anchored on. If we're going to talk about good and evil or good and bad, right versus wrong, like these are these are spiritual concepts that apart from God, you, we don't have. There is no good or, or bad. We're just, uh, as Richard Dawkins would say, we're the, the we're just uh, DNA propagating one's DNA as the sole purpose of our existence. It's a pitiless, pointless existence. And if there's no God, then it then there is no good or evil or or suffering. What what does that mean? Everything that happens is happening because 
of a prior state of, of physical reactions. It's just a, the dominoes are falling. You know, one one thing causes the next. There's no like moral agency. There's no um, right versus wrong. So when we when we say things like, man, a good God would not allow something bad to happen, we're actually at least testifying that there is something out there, some standard that we go by. And I think we we can land in places like that because our mind can play tricks on us. Um, the Bible calls it futility of thinking. Um, in Ephesians 4, it says this. I thought about this when we were reading this idea. I thought about this while ago. We were talking about uh, this this uh, never fading glory, or this never what is it? What is the term he uses here? Um, an undefiled. It's undefiled and will not fade away. Whatever this inheritance is, it will not fade away. Now listen to that juxtaposed to what's going on with the with uh, the Gentiles in Ephesians four. It says, "Don't be like the Gentiles who walk in the futility of their mind." being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. And having become callous, so that's, a, that's an inheritance that fades, having become calloused for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness, with a, and the, uh, one translation says they've given them, or here says they become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality, for the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. I think y'all's translation might say something like with a continual lust for more. Does yours say that in Ephesians four? Yes. So, so you got like, I think the, these two ways of thinking one is we can be like the Gentiles and we can go after the things of the flesh and it'll be greediness, all the things that all the things we wish for, and it will be a continual lust for more. You'll never get to the end of it. We'll be like that guy in that movie about Lehman Brothers when they asked him what his number was, and he said more. There's a number. There's no end to it. It's just more. And Or you, we go with what Peter's setting up here with some, a different kind of inheritance that will not fade away. And so I think that's that's the big kind of thing that we're struggling with in the in the even in the midst of suffering. He's saying, anchor yourself in something that's not going to fade. Anchor yourself into something that's not based on your position. Anchor yourself in something that's not based on your situation. Because hard times will come indefinitely to all of us at some point. Let's, uh, let's take another break. Well, especially if you're being outspoken about Jesus. If you're taking First Peter 2... You know, 20, seriously, that Christ suffered, leaving us an example that we should follow. And I made the point that, you know, why did Jesus come down to earth? And, and you know, without going through real time, because God is eternal, he inserted himself in time through Jesus as a man. But I, I had asked you all a question about, you know, why did why did he do that? And we read Hebrews 12, too, for the joy set before him, which was us. He, he he suffered so that we could be saved. So, you know, when you tie that into Hebrews 13, when we go out declaring Jesus as Lord, suffering is going to happen. It's inevitable. And that's what Peter's addressing to those who are scattered. I just made the point that in this letter to Peter, because you, you were saying you couldn't remember what I said that the world says, but it basically comes down to an argument. They're using suffering as a reason not to believe in God. And we're reading that it's actually a way to have a deeper appreciation for what God has given us and our reliance on him. And so, because he, he inserts that right in the middle of all these great things in heaven because of the resurrection. And then he's like, although you're, you're suffering. And so, and he actually uses it in a positive sense because it's like, but that suffering is refining your faith and proving your trust genuine before God. You're actually coming out on the other side of it better. You you're have a deeper appreciation for it. And so my point was the argument basically that's out there against God is that if he's all powerful, how come he doesn't? in suffering just 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 end it 
And the reason, you know, the other reason that comes from that is if, you know, if he's good, he, he must not be good is, is the, the answer to that. Because if he was good, he could, he would just end, end it all. Cause this is, this is horrible. And, and they use the same thing, you know, vice versa. He's either, if he was all powerful and all good, that's not going to work when you have the reality of suffering. Yeah. And, they're, they're, they're saying, they're, they're saying if, if God is all good, then if, if God is all good, he would prefer a world without any suffering. If God is all powerful, then he would accomplish the world that God wants. Therefore, either God is not all good or God is not all powerful. So that, that, that's like the argument. That of, is their uh, best the, argument. And, it, and it's clever. Yeah, it's called the problem of evil, the problem of pain. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, but it's when, clever, but it's not accurate because Jesus came to suffer. So God... Right. And does he, he he realizes the only way for salvation yeah, yeah, but was that, but, but yeah, but that doesn't logically answer the, the question. The, what the answer is this, like, because because then they would say, well, he could have just preferred, he could have just had a world where Jesus didn't have to suffer. But here here's the kicker. Here's yeah, what, here's what, what they they're say. leading out. Yeah, is is that that God and this honestly, well, I'm not going to say that. Um, it, I think I think it matters how we how we understand who God is in His nature. So who is God in His nature? For, for, I mean, I, I think God's primary attribute is what's in First John four eight. God is love. I think wrath and justice and all those things are certainly attributes of God, but these are these are attributes that flow from His primary nature, which is love. Um, that you know, the Bible says God is love. What does it mean to love? To love is to be relational. To love is to be in relationship. God is. A relationship to a degree, if you think about it, these these three persons and one being, and and so it's a different kind of relationship than what we uh, experience here because we can't understand that type of oneness, the you know the, the type of of relationship where it's impossible to commit adultery on one another or to use one another or to abuse or neglect or whatever like that's impossible with God, and so God is love, and then He creates creation as an overflow of His love. So what does God want from his creation? Well, he wants love. Well, if he's going to if he wants us to love him, then there has to be this thing called free will where we can actually choose to love God back or we can say God, nah, I'm out on that. That's kind of the idea of relationships. And so the problem is is that there they, the what God wants is a world where he can where he is going to have creatures that he loves and that love him back that he's in relationships with. And so the evil doesn't come from God. The evil comes from our choices. We create evil. God doesn't create evil. We create evil. And that solves the problem of, of, of evil because it, it elevates uh, in our minds what God is ultimately after, which is a relationship with his people. Which is why he's relational. That's why he's relational in his, in his existence. You know, he's three in one. You can't have love without some other aspect to because it's ultimately unselfish. Yeah, well, that he's he's been he's God has been love in an eternal setting, so because yeah, he's forever, relational before yeah. the creation of the world. Yeah, he, he there's, there's other attributes of God. This is, there's other attributes of God that come into play when he creates, such as God's sovereignty. Well, I was just going to say that you know to quote James, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So love by definition, is unselfish. That's why when you read Paul's, via the Holy Spirit, definition of love is patient, it's kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking. So yeah. so when you just put that in there, it also says it keeps no record of wrongs, it doesn't delight in evil. So you have all these components. So when Jesus came down here to offer himself, in an unselfish way for the redemption of our sins because payment and atonement must occur, which is why he said, you know, yeah. obedience to Jesus sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. He, he started that off, right? It was the greatest act of love because he, he did it for us. So he showed us that through suffering and the passion that he had for us, by us then surrendering to him, receiving his redemption and payment and yeah. atonement on the cross, we are then taught 
an appreciation for suffering because of our passion for other people. Because then we realize, well, wait a minute, there's other people out here who don't know this awesome act of love from the creator creator of the universe. But when you go do that, guess what? They're going to heap abuse on you. They're going to test you. The people out there, what what uh, keeps uh, coming up in my head is the bigness, the bigness of all this. I mean, yeah. I mean, hundreds of billions. I say hundreds of billions. Billions, hundred eighteen billion is what they say, have come and gone. You talking about people? People. Yeah, so I guess it'd be a hundred billion. And, and if you just add them all up in the current world, we can see that on what goes on worldwide. Well, you go back a hundred years and then 500 years, you get back to when this was written with the Roman Empire and all that. The population explosion didn't happen for a while from the Roman Empire to right now in present day. In other words, the population of the world was not near as many when God became flesh, died on a cross, was buried and raised from yeah. the dead. I mean, the population is way more now than when that happened. But still, what do you think? There's a mighty throng of people who died without any hope. So yeah. you read these characters in the Old Testament— and, uh, and men of faith, you know, it's about a page or two. <laughs> I mean, it's not many people. I mean, the the ones who have gotten out of here alive, I'm telling you, boys, it's it's uh, been a low number compared to the people that's come and gone. Hang on, let's take our last break. Yeah, I was uh, when you were talking, Jace. You know, you think about where the cross kind of plays into this, the, the greatest suffering that's ever occurred, the greatest suffering that's ever occurred was was the passion of Christ. Uh, but not just physical suffering, but I mean, he took on the sins of the world. You know, Phil mentioned 118 billion people. Yeah. If that's how many people that have lived, that's how he, he so far, we know that 108, I mean, he carried the weight of the the sin of the world. So you talk about the greatest atrocity. Yeah. The greatest suffering known to humanity yes. was all experienced on that cross. And because he and, was innocent you know, and he was he left his position as the eternal yeah. God, which I, I keep going back to that point. Why did he come down here? What did he not have it's in the heaven? greatest wrong that ever healed the greatest need. Yeah. Even I mean, though he's eternal by inserting himself into creation. You then had him leaving, you know, the place where he was completely comfortable, if you're looking at it from a worldly point of view. But he did it for us. And I think that's why when you get to the end of this section that we're discussing, we're underestimating that word salvation because we've said that so much. It just is become kind of cliche but right. when you really think what salvation your salvation yeah. means you're literally safe and sound throughout all eternity with a new body that's imperishable and nothing ever held against you and all injustices towards you made right i mean it, it's beyond your ability to comprehend so and i just want to read it in verse 10 when he says consider this salvation, I know I'm skipping ahead, but I just want to make this point. The prophets who spoke of the grace that was come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances in which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted, now here's this phrase, the sufferings of Christ, and I love this, and the glories that would follow. It was revealed yeah. to them that they were not serving themselves, which is the point I was trying to make about being self-seeking, which is the exact opposite of what Jesus displayed. But you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, 
sent from heaven. And I love this because it says, even angels long to look into these things. It was so awesome, the salvation that Jesus brought, that even the angelic world wanted to see this, wanted to see this rescue and this redemption and these eternal consequences for people entering the heavenly arena for eternity. I mean, it was that big of a deal where the whole world, the whole cosmos, the whole spiritual world sits on the edge of their seat watching this transpire. That was kind of the point I was thinking of. It, it was a. Yeah, it's just incredibly. beyond. It's way beyond. It's beyond. It's, what beyond, we're it's beyond our comprehension. But but in the context of suffering, think about the salvation that the, the Peter's talking about here. You you know you you have suffering as a result of our free choice, right? We bring evil into the world, not God. Like we we are along with our with, with not our father, but with our who was our you know, Father Satan before we were saved is Satan. And with us, we we bring evil into the world. And so you think, why did Jesus come? Like, what did why did he have to die? Why did he have to suffer? Because there had to be a payment. And I think this flows from his attribute of love, because you think about if we're God's children and I have kids, and if you violate one of my kids, if you hurt somebody that I love, particularly my children, if I don't demand justice, if I'm just like, ah, no big deal, and, I, and you just, I probably don't love my kids. And and God's this, that, we're like God in that way as part of being made in his image is that God demands justice. Not it's, He demands justice because he's love. And a loving, only a loving God, a loving father would demand justice when his children are violated. The problem is, is that the people who violate God's children, guess who they are? They're God's children. And so then there's this idea, okay, then that's where mercy comes in. And all of this is accomplished. You know, God can satisfy his wrath at the cross. He can uh, He can also dispense mercy at the same time. And I think he does all of this through suffering. And, and, and it's, it's a, it was a glory, uh, not glory, it was a gory process of what Christ went through physically. And it was even more horrible of what he went through spiritually and emotionally. Um, but he does this at, because he has a bigger uh, goal in mind, which is to graft us into this inner life of God. I don't, I don't know if I would say that God, like, he didn't need us. He, he wasn't up in heaven thinking, man, I need I need some humans. I, I don't think that's why he created us. We, he didn't need anything. I mean, Acts says that. Paul says that in Acts 17. He doesn't need anything. He's not served by human hands. That's not the like God didn't create us because he was insecure and he needed he needed some worshipers. God created us as an overflow and an extension of his very nature. It's it's a I, I kind of view us as um humans as a gift from God to himself because God's triune, you know, that God created us as a almost like a gift to himself, not in a narcissistic way, but like the father's given to the son, the son's given to the father. And well, that's kind of how I've, I've, I've viewed yeah. it. Well, I think, you know, I've read these commentaries about this phrase in First Peter where it says when you, in verse 7, the, you know, speaking of trials that come in this life, you know, we have the inheritance at the forefront of our minds in the living hope because we've been born again. But it says these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine, genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. What I was surprised at, that every person who, that I read from a commentary standpoint that I trust, I mean, you know, you kind of get the same guys that you feel like, okay, this is kind of in line with what I'm thinking. They all thought that this praise, glory, and honor was from Jesus toward us. And I thought that was interesting because I had never considered that. And, uh, you know, kind of like the well done, good and faithful servant. But the, the point I'm making is, the reason I'm bringing that up as in the case, is you think about what causes people the most pain and suffering on the planet. Well, as if you lose a child or you lose a family member and you, well, without this living hope, I'm not sure how you're going to get over this. It, it, it's, it's just something you can't get over. But in view of that, 
when you realize how great the offer is from God, and that's why I referred to this quote from Isaiah uh, 25, 7 and 8, that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 15 when he said, in describing our new body, from perishable to imperishable, from uh, what are the di- dishonor to glory, that those different things, our new body, he gets to the end and he says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Well, when you kind of think about that phrase, that doesn't mean you're not going to experience death. You're not going to be free from pain on the earth. You're going to have suffering. People that you love are going to die. It's, it's, it's inevitable. But it's swallowed up in victory because of Jesus' resurrection. You then see, just like he did when it says the sufferings of, that he endured and the glories that followed. Well, then you have a deeper appreciation. You wouldn't have the appreciation to the extent that it is if you didn't experience the pain of seeing the death or having yeah. the possibility of yeah. it. So when you start thinking, why, why, why is he doing this? There's a joy, and that is the common word that keeps coming up in all this, that you're going to experience because you know the pain of which we wallow in this earth. And that was God's design. And so it's really joy in a form that's greater than it would be if, if there was no possibility of pain or suffering or mistakes. If you didn't experience it, well, you wouldn't appreciate it. Yeah. You get a few years on you, and it didn't take many for you to stop and look around and you say, death is sweeping across the world continually and a lot. Yeah. It's just. But this fact is why these people, why Peter eventually said, well, you go ahead and crucify me upside down. You know why? He understood the living hope in an intimate way. Yep. He knew that death didn't mean anything. That's right. He's like, you do what you got to do. That's it's right. the same way you read all these books about these martyrs and the Maccabeans and all them. I mean, they literally, a lot of them went to their death with a smile on their face because their faith and their trust at, at, was so much in, into who Jesus is and the guarantee of what was going to happen next didn't faze them. All right, we're out of time. We'll uh, we'll flesh this out a little bit more in overtime. And um, so if you want to follow us over, that's blazetv.com slash unashamed. Check it out. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed Podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube. And be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, Subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.